This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, this is Mike Lord. This is Tom Roche. And Oh, 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 sorry. I got into my old habits. Old habits. Well, we will. This is no surprise, perhaps, if you've been paying attention online and polling and stuff like that. But we have a special guest returning today. A special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm special guest. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Mystery guest. It's Stacy. I'm so happy to be back. Yay. (laughs) We are happy to have you back. And uh, it is wonderful to have you here when when we kind of had kind of when you and Simon decided to bow out gracefully and everything, you said that you might want to come back for certain albums and things like that. And this is one of the ones that at least off mic, you would said like, oh, I really want to talk about this one. We are talking about No Jacket Required from Phil Collins from 1980. Actually, five, five. Yes. I had to rem- remind myself of exactly what year in the mid-80s this came out today. So, Tom, why don't you jump into the Wikipedia section and talk about what they say about this album? Those sure. wise Wikipedians. No Jacket Required is the third solo album by English drummer and singer-songwriter Phil Collins. It was originally released on 18 February 1985 on Virgin, Atlantic, and WIA. It features guest backing vocals, including Helen Terry, Peter Gabriel, and Sting. Some of the songs, like Don't Lose My Number and Susudio, were based around improvisation. Other songs, like Long, Long Way to Go, had a political message. One More Night, Susudio, Don't Lose My Number, and Take Me Home were released as singles with corresponding music videos. All four singles were top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, with Susudio and One More Night reaching number one. The three singles that were released in the UK all reached the top 20 in the UK charts. Many of the songs, including Take Me Home and Long, Long Way to Go, have been featured in episodes of Miami Vice and Cold Case, and The Man with the Horn was rewritten and re-recorded for the episode Fill the Shill. We Said Hello Goodbye was remixed for the film Playing for Keeps. Upon its release, the album was received favorably by the majority of music critics and won three Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year. There you go. So just just a minor album in Phil's discography, <laughs> right? So yeah, just um, a little footnote. Yeah. yeah. So so what what is all of our experiences with this album, Stacy? Why don't you talk about yours uh, first? Well, yeah. Th- I mean, actually, this album was my first experience with Phil Collins, and actually, you know, anything to do with Genesis. So this was the 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 actual gateway, if you will, into this crazy world uh, we're all in. I remember when it came out. I mean, it was all over the radio at the time and MTV. You just could not get away from hearing this if you turned on any device <laughs> back in back in 85. I was seven at the time. I actually had, had to do some math there so long ago. And uh, I just fell in love with it. I remember, you know, my mom, 
who is a huge Phil Collins and Genesis fan as well. She bought the cassette tape and anytime there was a road trip, that was in the car. My poor father. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Still trying to get over all the times we made him listen to that album. But yeah, it's and it still holds up for me. It, It, you know, this this album is now part of my DNA. Like you love albums and you know you have your albums that you've you've listened to maybe for a really long time but this this goes this is like fused <laughs> into who i am and yeah so i kind of like it it's pretty good i'm i'm glad that this is so a part of your dna because my experience with this is that obviously i was you know in in 85 i was 14 so double your age at the time. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that has not continued since then. Um, but it was kind of <laughs> like the album was so omnipresent everywhere that you couldn't get away from it. But I never owned it at the time. And so whereas you say it's part of your DNA, I probably didn't buy this album until 2009, 2010. And for me even going into listening to it for this podcast to kind of refresh my memory, I was like, Oh, what song comes next on this album? Like I didn't, besides knowing that it started with the studio and ended quote unquote with take me home. It was like, I didn't, that whole middle part of it. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know what comes next, which was kind of nice because (laughs) I knew all the songs, but I didn't necessarily know them in, in what order they would come in. And so for, it was a very fresh experience for me re-listening to this album. Tom, how about you? I'd say my experience probably mirrors Stacy's a little bit more, except for I was also 14 when this came out. <laughs> and uh, my first experience with, I think, the whole world of Phil and Genesis was That's All when that came out with the Genesis album. But it was just another song that I liked and put on a mixtape of songs I recorded from the radio. But then, then in around '84, I think that's when Phil's <laughs> big '80s moment started. I think '84 he had "Against All Odds," so I think I was like, "Oh, I really like the song." And then towards the end of '84, early '85, we started to get the hits from "No Jacket Required." Then "No Jacket Required" came out. In the middle of "No Jacket Required," "Separate Lives" came out. That went to number one, I think. Then there was "Live Aid." then Miami Vice, then the hits kept coming into 86 and then you had Invisible Touch. So like you could not get away from Phil at at the very least from 84 through the late 80s. So I think there are a lot of people who look back and they're like, oh yeah, I guess he was popular. Popular does not put into words. He was everywhere. (laughs) So so I bought this album and it's the same as Stacey. I just, I had it on cassette. So, you know, I just played it to death and just fell in love. And from there, that was my stepping point in 86 when Genesis came out. And I was like, oh, there's the guy who I love the solo. He's with this band. (laughs) Might as well check them out. And here we are today. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, you didn't even have to buy the album back then because you couldn't escape it anyway. And, And I think my brother may have had it. And so I probably had it. I, I know I didn't really listen to it myself, though, but I might have heard it through his, you know, through the walls type of thing. Uh, but I, I think he liked it, but he wasn't he didn't turn into the obsessive fan that we did. He's much more of a David Bowie type person and everything of that era. 
but yeah, you, you couldn't miss this. And take me home was on MTV, you know, on almost every other video it felt like. And so that was something that I liked all these songs, but if, for some reason it just never clicked into, Oh, I should buy this album myself and dive into it a little bit more and everything. The memory of this album and this music for me is very much young, mid teenage summertime. Like this is, <laughs> and, and maybe we're recording this at the end of May. I'm like, this is, the perfect time to be listening to this yes. album oh, for me. It's totally a summer album. Yeah. Even though it but, came out in February, like like Tom yeah. said, I was like, oh, it's like, but it to me, it just built and built and built into that summertime. So. Yeah. I mean, my own, my first time I remember hearing this album was on the beach, hmm. uh, was in the summer. And so, yeah, it came out in February, but my first memory of this album is in the summer. So I guess I always associate it in the summer. Like I associate Invisible Touch in the summer because that was a birthday present mm -hmm. and my birthday's in the summer. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's no jacket required season, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get your old t-shirts out and break yep. them out for this one. So cool. So well, I, it's funny. I have a friend yeah. who texts me every spring. She goes, oh, it's Phil Collins weather. And it always takes me a second to realize what she means. No jacket required. But that's what she texts me every spring. Ah. So shout out to Nancy if she's listening. <laughs> oh, and I forgot one other thing. Getting... In, all, in all that Phil domination, Easy Lover also came out during late 84. <gasps> that's right. So, I mean, you're, you could not turn the radio dial MTV anywhere without seeing Phil. And I don't know, to to his detriment probably, but... You know, it, it was what it was. And I think Separate Lives came out after all these singles, too. Whether that was pre-Invisible Touch, I don't quite remember. But I think that I saw on Wikipedia that it mentioned that it was recorded during the tour or something like that. So it must have come out, you know, in late 85, I would guess. So there was no way to escape Phil Collins. So you kind of get why it's funny. I don't even think there was, there was certainly a backlash to Phil, but I don't think it was a horrible backlash. It was more just like, yes, yeah, some people were sick of hearing Phil Collins all the time. So. Well, I, I have to say, I think in the U S that's true, but yeah. I know in the UK there's huge backlash and there still is. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in that country, I mean, so it's no surprise he's moved to, uh, Switzerland and Miami <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. to, to get away. But, and, but, you know, I talked, you know, I've, you know, friends and family who, who know of my, let's, let's call it fandom, not obsession <laughs> uh, with Bill Collins. And, you know, they all are familiar with him and it, they, they point to this album, they point to this time. So everybody, regardless of how well you, or not well, you know, Phil Collins music career, you know, about the eighties. And that's where he was like made. And like you said, he was just everywhere. And I think that is some of the back. There is some backlash. So when by the time But Seriously came out, you know, because then, you, you know, as you said, Invisible Touch came was on the heels of all that solo work he was doing. You know, then by the time But Seriously came out, I think people were a little fatigued of him. I mean, it was still a phenomenal response to it. And it's an incredible album. But I think people are a little weary. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't do quite as well as yeah. the, as No Jacket Required. But again, how could it? You know, it's I mean, yeah. for both that and Invisible Touch, they were such mammoth albums at that time mm -hmm. that to be like, oh, you know, this, uh, but seriously, only had two hit singles versus four, you know, that's still two more hit singles than most people have. So, mm -hmm. you know, or the album went double platinum instead of 
quintuple or whatever it might be. So it's hard to argue with success. And that's what Phil had in spades in the 1980s. So bravo for that. So with that, I think we're ready to move into our track by track time. So this first little ditty that you might remember from the mid 80s and elsewhere is called Susudio. Before this podcast episode, I had not heard this song before, so it was a nice <laughs> surprise. <laughs> I, I think what 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 desert island would you have yeah. to be trapped on to yeah, have where, never heard where's this the rock song you before? live under? <laughs> what I what I do love about this, it is it tells you what you're going to get right off the bat, and not just what you're going to get, but that it's different than what you got with Phil's first two albums. I mean, face value opens with in the air tonight, Hello, I Must Be Going opens with I Don't Care Anymore, kind of some heavy tracks. This is, we're going to have a party. We're going <laughs> to dance. <laughs> get off the couch. <laughs> grab somebody, get in the middle, and start having a good time. I mean, that 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 opener, boom, ch, boom, ch, ch, boom, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> it's just It's just dance. It's happy. It's probably been overplayed, and I think that people automatically, when they think Phil Collins overplayed, this is probably the song that comes to mind. It's like the definition of Phil overkill. But if you just take it for what it was at the time, it was a happy, fun song, had some good horns, and got you moving. And it didn't take itself too seriously, which I like. It's just him having fun. It's a made-up word. It's a nonsense word. Just enjoy it. Have fun. Yeah. If ever a song deserved to be overplayed, I think it's this one because <laughs> it is it is that that classic party song. But it's it just to me, it's the song that's been stuck in my head the most since I've been re-listening to this album. Again, maybe just because of the familiarity of it and everything. And it is a very easy song to get into your head. But it's been it's been the earworm for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's the perfect album opener. You know, you we've all said and you guys say like it's, you know, there's the statement of intent. That's what Genesis like, <laughs> you know, can do at the beginning. 
and yes, it's overplayed. And I have heard this song more time, you know, more than there are stars in the sky, <laughs> but it, it still sounds good. Yeah. It's still like, even though it, it's funny and you know, I think this is something I could say about the entire album, but particularly Susudio, it's so eighties, but it's still so fresh. Like it still sa- sounds like it, makes sense in this time you know 40 some years later and yeah it 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 does it gets people moving i'd say nine out of ten weddings i've been to my whole life this this song is on gets played so yeah it's a good time happy time song yeah one of my notes was you know it doesn't really matter what the what the lyrics are what the what the song actually means this is all about the feel of the song yes it's all about the groove i love the kind of guitar in it i know that some people have said the keyboards sound a bit prince-ish 1999 type of thing that kind of dun, 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 but i'm just like who cares you know it's just like you know that's not a huge though that chord progression is not super unique to prince either so you know it's not really that big of a, a, di- a deal but my my final note for this track was how could this have not been a hit it's like yeah. The who if if they put this out as a single and it wasn't a hit, whoever at the record company was trying to market this should have been fired. And so, <laughs> you know, that they did their job was fantastic with this because again, this is a song that like you said Stacy is still getting played at weddings around mm-hmm. the world, I'm sure, because <laughs> it gets people out there and it's fun and it's yep. It's almost I, I don't I never want to say something is perfect, but it's as close to a perfect little pop song as you're going to get. I there's only one criticism I have of it is Uh-oh. At, at, <laughs> it is at the end. I would prefer one less go round or the chorus and get right to the the part where like the music stops for a second. It's just the beat and him singing yeah. the thing. I think there was like eight bars that could have been removed and gone right into that part quicker but it just gives a whole nother go around of that and i was like all right let's get to the good part yeah. but mm-hmm. that's a little criticism i think uh, the single edit is a tiny bit shorter maybe, than the album maybe they version do go too, straight to so, that yeah and i have heard about that you know the comparison to 1999 and i can see a little bit of it but it's funny a song that to me sounds more like 1999 is hanging long enough from oh sure opening of but seriously i was listening to that and that's got that same Dun, 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 like background keyboard chords and that, like that was the one that to me is like oh that's 1999 hmm. more than Susudio is which i thought was interesting yeah my one of my little favorite moments of this song it's almost at exactly a minute and a half in the song is the sound during one of the vocals uh, what verses. is that what are, are they saying something I, that, I meant to ask that it drives me crazy i'm like i'm looking up lyrics i'm, I'm trying to figure this out i think it's just a little mm, kind of off to the I side. I think it's Mike Lord <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> Somehow I worked my way into there. So it was Oh, they're saying uh small talk. Small yeah. exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the callbacks are plenty today. So <laughs> But no, I just love that. It it's just these little things that I'm just like it it makes the song. It's one of those everything makes the song about this track, but it, it's mm-hmm. just one of these things that I'm like, yeah, it's fun. It's it, it doesn't take itself seriously, although, again, his next album is but seriously, where people were thinking that he was, you know, kind of being more serious than he should be or whatever. But again, you know, this is fun and happy. You know, let's just leave it at that. And it's a good time. 
Anything else about this creamy slice of 80s pop goodness? No, I'm full. Thanks. What more can you say about it? So cool. Excellent. Well, we will now move on to the second track on this lovely little, little album called Only You Know and I Know. the weakest track on the album mm. I, you know i just find it I, you know and again you know when you hold it up to the rest of the tracks uh it's still a solid song uh, it belongs on the album but for me it's you know doesn't really hit all the all the marks i find it a bit schmaltzy uh <laughs> at times <laughs> and it it introduces the listener to what i feel is the worst part of the entire album, which is Daryl's guitar. <laughs> I hate, I, I can't put into words how much I hate the sound of his guitar on this album. It's a bit thin, isn't it? I, I, I spent, I'm not kidding you, a good like maybe 20, 30 minutes trying to come up a comparison to what I think his guitar sounds like. And the best I could do was grumpy bandsaw. <laughs> <laughs> like some sort of power tool that's pissed off. I, I am sorry, but, and sometimes, and especially in this song, hearing it takes me out of it. it takes me out of the song. Well, we're bringing on a very special guest today. Daryl Sturmer is here. <laughs> Sturmer. Sturmer, explain yourself. What the fuck? <laughs> Point, counterpoint. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think for the longest time, I maybe had just not read the writing credits, but I thought that Something Happened on the Way to Heaven was the first time that he had written with Sturmer. But there are three songs on this album that are co-credited to Daryl, and this is one of them. This is the first of them, which is interesting. Maybe he's just putting a lot more into the solos on the songs that yeah. he's written. This is definitely one of the lower tracks for me. I do really enjoy the bridge where I just try to remember... Da, 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 da. but then it goes into the solo your favorite part and then it just repeats the chorus to a fade out so there, yeah. there didn't really seem to be a lot here that you know i can tap my foot and just bide my time until the next song but it's not one that i usually get this and i think the other sturm are confused in my head as what they are i mean the titles are very similar too yeah but yeah, it's it's not one of the top ones for me. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, there's so many iconic songs on this album that some of them have to fall to the 
fall to the bottom. Well, bit, it's it's know? good that it's if it's your least favorite song on the album, at least you're getting it out of the way pretty quick. Yeah, so, I mean, you know. I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> my my note was more 80s please i was like mm. this was perhaps the most 80s track on like stereotypically 80s yeah. on the album which again it came out almost smack dab in the middle of the 80s so that's not necessarily a bad thing i mean it more as an observation from 2021 now where it's like oh yeah if i if i needed to play a track to say here's what the 80s were about here you go and i think my my base of notes were were kind of like your Stacy, like it, it, it was fine. There's nothing really wrong with the song, but there's also nothing that really stands out about it. But I did note that it was a very Daryl solo in the middle mm-hmm. of it. So, which he had in that 82 to 84, 85 time frame, just this very thin guitar sound that he loved. And, and every, used yeah, everywhere. every time I bitch about it to Simon, he like, well, he'll defend it because he's a musician. Sure. He loves guitars and he's like, but that was the sound back then. And, you know, uh, you know, that's what I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it, you just don't like it. So my ears are bleeding. Um, <laughs> no, that's actually his solos aren't as, as irritating. It's those like little like short, like cuts, those little short riffs he does throughout every track. There's like digs. Oh, Although I thought his playing was great on Susudio. So I just thought that like his rhythm playing that he was doing. Oh yeah. Rhythm's fine. There. Yeah. But the yeah. little kind of, you know, spurts of lead guitar is kind of what you're talking about. It yeah. It like. was. And it's also a very staccato uh, mm. approach, which, you know, it, it suits the song. Cause I think Phil, you know, is very much relying on the horns to carry the melody mm-hmm. throughout this album. And of course the drums and the bass, you know, that's his, where he, that's his, where he lives. And Daryl's just there was like interjections, I guess. <laughs> Those are the yeah, not a fan, not a fan. So I can we can safely assume that this did not get your vote for favorite track on the album. So yes, <laughs> yeah, we'll be interested to see where this ends up on the uh, on this on our on little poll, poll yeah. at the end and everything. We're only on the third track of this album, but we already have a long, long way to go. I've been planning that one for a while. perhaps for me the last gasp of weird phil 
because I don't know if I'd have to think back into but seriously and, and his later albums, but I don't know if there's a lot of weird fill on that. Hello, I must be going had, do you know, do you care? Which to me is perfect. Weird fill. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe even um, through these walls can be included in there too. And this is to me that very moody atmospheric that are kind of, again, easy shortcut, just saying weird fill mm-hmm. that I really like. And I love, and I like this song, Tom, when you mentioned that it was kind of political, political in the Wikipedia thing, I was like, really? All yeah, right. me too. I was, I was like, like, what? It's should... interesting that, that Wikipedia <laughs> put it that way, because I don't really, maybe social cultural critique, you know, there's, it seems to be about maybe kind of like violence in the streets and there's a long, long way to go until we actually get, get away from that type of things. But it's, it's not Phil bashing you over the head with that. It's, it's very, yeah, he does that on the next album. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so it, it comes out a little bit more that way. So, so I like this song. I, I think that my only critique of it for me is that it, it feels a little too smooth for what it is. Like it's very produced and I would like it maybe a little bit rougher, but that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like, I, I really like it. It's in my probably top third of tracks on the album. But if that if I had to critique it, I would say just just mess it up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, Mike. Like, I wrote down in my notes, it's very face value-esque. Like, it, it does harken back to the previous uh, albums. And seven-year-old me never liked this track. Like, this was fast-forwarded. <laughs> I was like, this is boring. I want to dance. (laughs) But old me loves this, loves this song so much. And you know how I love my transition. So the transition from this track into I Don't Want to Know is perfect. Love it. I mean, it's an amazing track. Like I said, I love it. It just kind of it's like a, a little palate cleanser. In, in, in its sequence, which is nice because you're coming off of Susudio and only you know and I know, very high energy. Just kind of brings you down a little bit and then transitions right back into it and I don't want to know. I love it. Yeah. Wait, so you're saying that when you were seven, you didn't want to hear a song that says someone's son lies dead in a gutter somewhere? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how can you not dance to that? <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's where he gets into, I think, the serious subject matter that he would kind of tackle later yeah. and, and i do like the theme of the song where there's all this that's happening in the world and you, what are you going to do are you going to address it or are you just going to turn your back are you going to switch it off are you you know we still got a long long way to go before we address these problems uh love the intro the intro mm-hmm. is great i actually did have i love the segue between this and the next song yeah <laughs> i think sting makes a song without sting the song loses about half of its power i mean it's just a simple backing vocal a a co-vocal on some of the places but when they get to that second version of the chorus where sting is kind of singing an echo i mean that's just it's just brilliant i just this is one of my probably top 10 phil songs it's just so good yeah oh that spoken atmosphere yeah yeah that spoken part towards the end still gives you chills so good and and it was Sting was just I think wandering into recording studios at this time of the eighties, kind of just saying, "Where do you need backing <laughs> vocals?" With Dire Straits, sure, I'll jump in there. Phil Collins, sure, I'll be there and everything. And I think and they, that's what happened back then. I think that's why Phil's like everywhere. They just kind of oh, a you're tour here, of, play oh, some yeah. drums. So, yeah. but that's um, they actually performed this together at Live Aid in London. Uh, Sting, right, yeah. Sting, and uh, Phil. So that was uh, 
one of those i don't know if sting ever performed it elsewhere with phil that might be the only place that i've never heard of him doing it elsewhere with him i mean there's a live version on the extended no jacket required but it just must have been one of his backing vocalists singing that part could be so or maybe daryl played it on guitar somehow so that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> well i just like how uh phil went from 1980 turn on again to 1985 turn it off yeah there are all these uh... echoes <laughs> keep hearing it somewhere so. there, there's another genesis reference reference in a later song we'll see if one of you find it I actually have two in my notes later on, so ah, we'll see if uh, really? we'll see. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I they're Genesis references to me. I don't know if they are to <laughs> Phil, <laughs> so that's uh, we'll we'll see if it comes out. Oh, I also wanted to point out that at least in Susudio and in one other track later on, Phil does sing "All My Life." Oh, he sings that it's every a, track. It's in at least three tracks <laughs> on yeah. this album. Oh my god. That's his catchphrase. I just had to, it was one of those things. I remember you both, I think, mentioning it at different places. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, this is, it's cropping up here. And I, and I couldn't recall if it had really shown up in other earlier albums yet at this point. But I don't think there are any Oh Lords in this, on this album. Maybe on li- live take versions. Yeah, he does it on, he does it live a lot. Live, I think. There, yeah. Take Me Home might have one. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, if anything, it might only be in Take Me Home, one of those choruses. As long so. as it's not Digaleo. You know how I hate that. I hate we'll, that. We'll get through it. So we'll just, you oh. know, we'll fast forward through that part of it. So cool. You know, I would say I want to know about the next track, but I don't want to know. <laughs> I just love the shaking of heads. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. So this is the second Sturmer track, co-written track on the album. And for me, it's kind of interchangeable with only you know and I know. Like it, it kind of feels the same kind of same kind of theme, the same kind of beat. There is a bit that I do like after the guitar solo. It's probably a guitar solo that Stacy doesn't like. And <laughs> But if I had to choose it, I, I would choose this one over only you know and I know. But again, it's... To me, they're interchangeable. I have to kind of listen to each one to know which is which. I have to say, the Daryl's guitar solo on this track is the only one on the album where I don't want to take his guitar and beat him with it. <laughs> it's actually listenable. Um, 
and I do enjoy it. And but I I really like this track. I love the horn arrangement. I think it's one of the best arrangements on the album and that bridge is just gorgeous in the song uh he there's a like he's got some strong bridge work in this album i have to say like that's the one thing that you know you listening to this i've listened to this album like i said i i can't count that high but for the you know to prep for this show you know did do like a forensic listen and i just noticed all the brit like the bridges are just beautiful and particularly this song and i i love that in this song i feel like more than any others there's always a track or two on a collins release where he's like really channeling his motown r&b influence and i think this is the track he's doing it uh, on uh, no jacket required agreed i think that this is between this and and only you know and i know this wins the battle of the you know the collins Sturmer <laughs> co-writes definitely and everything. That middle part with the whether it's the guitar and the sax doing things kind of in unison or playing with each uh, playing against each other and everything, I'm like, oh, this is this is where you get kind of the pop songs with real substance to them too, because Phil is a really good musician and can come up with these bits that really work as little instrumental pieces that maybe if he brought it into Genesis, they'd be thrown into a Los Endos type of track. Mm-hmm. He has this feel for music that really works and and on the liner notes of the reissue from a couple of years ago he talks about that you know he'd bring these world-class musicians into the recording studio and tell them exactly what to play on an, another interview he, he always says like leave your ideas at the door he's like i don't want to hear them <laughs> you know because this is my album and i want it to be the way it that i hear it in my head and so he'd be very directive about, you know, what to play. And so it's interesting hearing this and thinking, yeah, even if Phil's not playing things, he's he told people what to do, whether it was just by going ba 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 or something. He got it through to the musicians to really do what um, what he wanted to. And so, yeah, I, I like this track. The title of this is also the title of, I believe, uh, a Mike Rutherford song from really? acting very strange i think i don't know oh, that's know. why i don't know it <laughs> yeah, that's why i don't <laughs> you or, lost me yeah it's either that or a mechanic song i always get them uh, confused but yes so i think it's from acting very strange but that's that's not one of the two genesis things that i thought of later on so but i just i think it's always interesting when the guys have similar titles similar things because they've been together for so long maybe they think the same ways about certain lyrical bits and everything so yeah, overall, I thought this was fine. I thought it kind of told the story of a relationship, beginning, middle, end, maybe a little Duchess-esque in that respect, but not in a big way or anything like that. It was just, I thought it was good. It was a good, it was a good fourth track on the album. It kept me interested and kept me going with it. So the next track on the album is the last track of Side 2, and it's One More Night. Side 1. The next track on the album, (laughs) the next track on the album is the last track of side one. And that track is one more night. Had to put on my DJ voice for that one. It was very nice. I've 
surprised in my research for this podcast meaning that when i saw the wikipedia page this morning that this was actually the first single from the album i would have sworn that susudio was the first single yeah yeah first single and it went to number one yeah so it was just one of those things that again it's it's funny i hadn't really thought much about it but if somebody had asked me and which does happen sometimes because we talk because we talked on a podcast about this stuff. Hey, what was the first single from No Jet Required? I would say, oh, of course, it's Susudio. And so it was just surprising to me that that this was the first one. And again, ballads for Phil. This was the 1980s for him. So. <laughs> well, what was your? I had a question here uh, specifically for you, Mike. Oh, okay. I know your take on 80s sax. Oh, yes. <laughs> so this is dripping with it. What do, what do you think about it? Yeah, well, I would say I don't think it was really dripping with it. It was more at the end. And that, to me, was an appropriate use of the sax, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> it certainly was very 80s. And I think, you know, my note about it was just like, oh, the first sax at the end. You know, I definitely noticed it there. But it was, I think, in the my abhorrence of saps in these settings is almost forgivable in this in this song because it's just so right for what this song is and it's in the in the context of the whole album it makes sense meaning he's there's horns throughout the album so having a sax solo is not out of the blue i'm with you mike like my like gag reflex goes off when i when it's just like uh you know a tip like an 80s pop song and then out of nowhere the sax solo just is dropped in so just to because it's the thing to do where this is you know i'm gonna sound like a marketer this is part of the whole narrative this is for the narrative <laughs> of no jacket required um and so it does it's it's you're right it sounds to me it's it makes total sense and it's it's wonderful it's a fantastic sax solo i mean that's my favorite part of this track and you know when i when i was a kid and listening to this i was in band and i loved hearing you know these ooh, instruments that i was playing and you know in a band with at school i thought it was super awesome um because i'm I, yes listeners i was even a huge nerd back then <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah so i think that to me that's why this track is is so great and i just love the simplicity of it it's just so it just seems so effortless and it's one of those tracks i always wonder like why hasn't this been covered for like it was it was really popular track it is it maybe it's deceptively simple but i i don't know i always thought this would be make a great cover 
Yeah, you could see, you know, male singers, female singers singing this, mm-hmm. and it's all kind of can change that point of view. And it's, you know, maybe because it was such a huge hit, it's hard to kind of claim it for your own if you're another singer. But, you know, it's it's also a proven song. So, you know, why wouldn't you do it at this point? Right. Um, I like, you know, again, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of ballads, but this was fine. I was like, yeah, this, if I'm in the mood for a ballad, this is the type of song I want to hear. It had the first Genesis reference I was thinking of when he says, I will follow you. I was thinking, follow you, follow me a little bit there, lyrically. Uh, Again, that's, it certainly isn't unique to follow you, follow me or this song. (laughs) So I know that is just, again, being a very Genesis-y train spotter for this, being like, oh, look, he used two words that are used in a Genesis song. So I'm going to say there's a (laughs) reference there. But it was nice. I thought it was nice and atmospheric. And I also remember as a kid thinking at some point, you know, when these videos were on MTV, that it was like, oh, this this, uh, bar in One More Night is the same bar in the Susudio video. Right. Yeah. it's, It's a continuation. It's the end of the night. Yeah, which I always right. thought was very cool. Like, right. they, but it came out his... first. It, it was like the Star oh, Wars true. Prequels, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I think it's a very cool video. How he's like closing up the place. They just did the Susudio earlier. It's just him singing uh, in the sax player. And I think actually Daryl has a little cameo in the beginning. He's like, uh, "You want me to clean up, Phil, or something like that?" Oh, okay. <laughs> which I thought I, it's rare to hear Daryl speak in a video, so that was <laughs> fun. It's probably a song that people would kill to be able to write, mm-hmm. meaning it's that good. But it's one that I usually skip maybe because I just heard it too much on the radio. And it's not one that holds my interest for a long time, but even though it is good. Like occasionally, you know, two out of 10 times, I'll sit and listen to it. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good song. Yeah. But the next time I'll, I'll skip it. I, I think they did a better version of, you know, In Too Deep on Invisible Touch always seems like kind of a sister yeah. song to it mm-hmm. i think that's a better of the song maybe because it had tony and mike working on it as well and yeah. no sax and no sax <laughs> i do i do like the sax i just right. had to ask yeah. you about it yeah that was just my uh, i i like to kid the sax players in the world now about this stuff so yeah for me th- this track was was good and also i think what surprised me listening back to this album as a whole was that for all the reputation that phil had with ballads in the 80s this is the only ballad on the album, but I think because, you know, Against All Odds and then Separate Lives and then Groovy Kind of Love were all in this mid 80s time frame. It all gets condensed into this album in, in, with high, with kind of thinking back. If you don't think about it in detail, you think, oh, yeah, all these ballads that were on Phil's albums. And you're like, then when you hear the album, you're like, oh, no, this isn't really filled with ballad. This is more no, like up tempo pop songs. Wait a minute. This. One one more night's not the only ballad. Well, what what else do you well, what, consider? Well, long way to go. Isn't that see, a ballad? I, see, I don't think of that as a ballad more because of the the lyrical content of it. it. Like ballads to me are more like love song type of things. Like that's more of a mood uh, piece to me. I thought ballads are like just slow, yeah. slow songs. I, I I'll give you that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna die on this hill one way or another. But <laughs> no, yeah. I'll, I'll defend this hill with you, Mike. Oh. I, I wouldn't uh, consider what? that a ballad. I don't want to go against the wrath of Stacy. <laughs> So. <laughs> oh that's fine i don't whatever i i always consider long way to go a ballad yeah. but I, I i wouldn't argue with it i'll let i'll let tom argue that so 
but the one <laughs> the one thing lyrically though about this was that in the chorus you know when he's like you know one more night because i can't wait forever when i was listening to this before i kind of went through with the lyrics i was like is he saying can or can't wait forever because it's a very different song depending upon which it is <laughs> and just the way he sang it i couldn't really tell and so i thought it was can't and then but then on other listens i was like well, is he changing it in, the, in each chorus or is it the same? But then looking through it, I was like, it was consistently cant throughout. So I was like, okay, that's, that's the message of, you know, almost desperation that this song is putting out there. And everything. Phil had like a hundred more songs to write in the eighties. He cannot wait forever. That's right. <laughs> so, but I, there was also an interview with him where he talked about, I think it was more about Susudio, but it could go with this song too, where he's like, people blame me because Susudio or one more night got played all the time on the radio. And he's like, I only wrote the song once. Right. <laughs> he's, yeah, like, it's true. he's like, I can't, he's like, I can't help if people like it and play it. You know, he's like, don't blame me for that aspect of it being overplayed. If you just don't like the song, don't like the song type of thing. It, it made me think of that. It's like, yeah, it's not like he knew when he wrote this. Oh, this, I'm writing this to be a hit. He wrote it because it's what came out at the time. So mm -hmm. of him at the time. My my misheard lyric is in the bridge when he goes like a river to the sea. I always want to sing. I will mm -hmm. always be with the. I don't know why, because I want those two to rhyme. Like a river to the sea, I'll always be with thee, but it's I'll always be with you. But I'll sing it my way. Oh, I I, I totally sing thee as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny that that, that <laughs> non-rhyme bothered me too, but I didn't think about yeah. the aspect of it. So, but it's I what reading that I was like, yeah, that's that feels a little clunky to me, but. It was a number one hit, so what do I know? So it, didn't, it, it couldn't have been more number one if he had sung these. So, you know, it's... Stay in your lane, Lord. Exactly. <laughs> so that brings us actually to the end of side one on this album. So, Stacy, we now have a new tradition on this okay. podcast where we talk about some reader feedback on the album. When we put the polls out, some people will comment on the website or on Twitter, Facebook, and everything. And so, Tom... Bring it on. What the viewers have, viewers, I always call them viewers. What the <laughs> readers have to say. They are the watching you, Mike. Yes, they yes. are. When I opened your letter yesterday, I could not believe my eyes. Because I've already given all All right, there were a bunch of comments. I, I picked five that were pretty good. Top five. Top five. Top five. <laughs> Ken Moss says, since that album was so ubiquitous back in the mid-80s and the singles were seemingly everywhere, I tended to favor the songs that didn't receive radio or MTV exposure. For my choice, I'm going to go with Long, Long Way to Go. While the rest of No Jacket is musically bright and uplifting, Long serves as a welcome contrast. Also, along with Phil and Peter, whose voice personified the 80s more than Sting's. Phil and Sting blend well together. They certainly do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Kevin Boak says, this is an iconic 1980s album, and it is easy to dismiss it for the reason. Phil is an amazing songwriter and musician, and this album showcases what talent he has demonstrated over the years. It contains so many special moments and is a very consistent set of songs. My favorite is We Said Hello Goodbye, which just wins out for me. I really love the lyrics, and they had a strong relevance when we recently moved a long way from our previous home to start a new life. I played the song as we set off to our new home, and they packed a huge emotional punch. 
Aww. That's actually, you know, for a song that, that I'm kind of ambivalent about, that's actually a nice story. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Sophia Tiano says, I wasn't alive in the 80s. <laughs> None of us I were. <laughs> Mentally. Is she a zombie? <laughs> <laughs> but I like 80s music, and this album is pure, fun, 80s goodness. I voted for Susudio because I wasn't around when it was played out on the radio. So to me, it's just a super fun song that gets me pumped, and the horns are awesome. The rest of the songs are great, too, except one more night. That one just annoys me. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that people, you know, because, you know, we all talked about this album, you know, this came out and we were listening to it, you know, in the moment. And it still sounds good to people who, yeah, you know, kind of missed out on that. Just like we, you know, are huge fans of the 70s stuff. But weren't around or didn't hear it as, you know, kids at that point. So love it. Patrick Bateman from New York City says Phil Collins' solo career seems to be more commercial and therefore more satisfying in a narrower way, especially songs like In the Air Tonight and Against All Odds. But I also think Phil Collins works best within the confines of the group than as a solo artist. And I stress the word artist. Susudio, a great, great song, a personal favorite. Stacy, that was getting on your, that was rating you a little bit or was that yeah I, uh, well i um i'm really shocked that a fictional character <laughs> was able to log on to the website and leave such a <laughs> such an articulate comment <laughs> i don't want to know what you're talking about uh, you can't fool me oh yeah <laughs> all right i was, I was well, I, maybe I, I think I snuck that past one of you. <laughs> I, you know, I thought about the coincidence. I actually thought Jason Bateman at first, but I do, I do get the, ra- <laughs> the reference now. So, all right, the last one. He is a real person. He's a non-fictional character, uh, Michael King. <laughs> as far as we know. <laughs> well, I'd love to be all cool and vote for one of my all-time favorite Dark Horse tracks like Inside Out or We Said Hello Goodbye. I have to admit to myself that I'm just a boring mainstream fan, and I can see that really Take Me Home is just the highlight of the album and continues to hold up as a timeless, perfectly constructed song. A transcendent achievement for him, both musically and lyrically, second only to In the Air Tonight as Phil's consummate anthem. I think Couldn't agree more. Clear. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. clear there. So. Yep. Well, thank you, everyone who wrote in, and we always look forward to reading your comments. And who knows, maybe you will be mentioned Ooh. in a previous episode. You know, going to go back in time. Maybe you will be mentioned in an upcoming episode. That sounds yes. a bit easier to do. That's right. So we're not going to re-edit these old episodes. No. That's a little much. So, well, it's yeah, I think, yeah, keep the comments coming for female listeners out there. Please comment also. We do tend to get a lot of dude comments. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We're happy to hear from all from everybody, but it's nice to get a mix of comments also. So please comment. Let us know what you're thinking. Cool. Well, we'll dive now into side two with the drum pattern that ruled the world in what I feel was the <laughs> summer of 85. Don't lose my number. Let's all do it together.
Yeah. So yeah, you were right, Mike. This song was everywhere in the summer of 85. I remember the video being really, really popular. I love the video for this, you know, as a kid, like this was the coolest thing on TV. Um, (laughs) It was funny. It was, you know, a great song. It was really good. I always thought this track would really work well on Invisible Touch. Hmm. In fact, you know, back when, you know, at that time, after I got an invisible touch, I always kind of mixed up this track and it like, I always thought this was on invisible touch or, you know, I don't know. It just seems like really, it's a sister song to the album. Yeah. I'm not making any sense. They, um, they had the same, they were around yeah, the same birthday. They're, just, They're yeah. siblings, of course. So. Yeah. It just, you know, that's, so I always, for one weird, re- like for real, yeah, for weird reasons, I associate this song with that <laughs> the Genesis album. <laughs> um, you know, I do like it, but this is where Daryl's guitar mm-hmm. really, Uh-oh. really cuts me deep. It is the worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's painful. This it, it's it's gone from grumpy bandsaw to like whiny bandsaw, mm. and yeah, it it's the weakest part of the track, in my opinion, to put it bluntly. Yeah, <laughs> this song and long long way to go have really kind of switched places from 14-year-old me to almost 50-year-old me. Whereas I was with, like, Stacy, long, long way to go. It's a little bit too serious. I want to get to the fun part, the fast part. I want to get to Don't Lose My Number. That's so cool. It's got, like, an outlaw kind of feel. You don't really know what the lyrics are about. And now they've kind of switched places. Like, I would much rather hear Long, Long Way to Go, and I enjoy that atmosphere, and I enjoy the lyrics. And Don't Lose My Number, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's good, but I definitely don't have the excitement that I had really had for it in 1985. It's a good side to opener. I do love the intro beat. The guitar solo does feel a bit flashy to me. So it's a good song. And it, I actually had, as you guys know, I didn't have MTV. So I mm-hmm. rarely saw this video. I just rewatched it for the first time in ages. And it's, it's a fun video. I'd it's rather so watch fun. the video than listen to the song by itself. It's just, you know, it's it's poking fun at the cars, David Lee Roth, Elton John, yeah. different kind of movie genres. Uh, it's a fun video and it's it's a fun song, but it's also one that I've lost. It's lost luster to me in the past 35 years or however long it's I, been. I can see that. Like for me, this is the track that aged the most on the album over time. Yeah, of the popular songs, this is mm-hmm. probably the 80s of the 80s where I <laughs> yeah. said, you know, with yeah. um, what I think it was only you know and I know, so it was like 80s digested. I was like, this, of of the songs that got radio play, this is the 80s with kind of just that repetitive big drum sound and kind of putting putting it out there the way that it does. And then with the video being so both complimentary to the song because it's like, is the song about a prison break? Is it about somebody on the run from the law? Like it's it's very... There's a lot of images in it, but it's not necessarily about something. And it's an so, update from just a job to do. Yeah, <laughs> That's you know, I always thought of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's part two of just a, yeah. just a job to do. So it's like, yeah, this is this is fine, but it's lyrically, yeah, it's not it's not Phil's strongest moment as a lyricist. But if he had pulled this together into an actual narrative of some type and made it into a song like one of Tom's favorites, "Driving the Last Spike." You know, which again, I don't know if there was going to be a 10 minute long song on a Phil Collins album, Mm -hmm. but that's where 
lyrics like this could have fit in better if they were telling a, a bigger story and fit into a story. So yeah, so I, I generally I liked it, but it wasn't. I think when I first saw Phil on these reunion re, on these comeback, however you want to describe his touring in the recent years, I think at first he was playing this song and I was happy to hear it, but then on later shows he didn't, and I didn't miss it. Uh, yeah. because there are nu- numerous other songs of his kind of like once he, once they played it, I was like, Oh good. I can check that off that I saw them play it. <laughs> and then, but if he had kept playing it, I might've been like, yeah, I don't need to see this one anymore. So pl- replace it with something else basically. So yeah, generally liked it, but totally get that the guitar sound again is very Daryl and very mid eighties Daryl specifically. The buzzsaw was not work. <laughs> <laughs> now did i say i would do the next introduction or did who said i would that made no sense at all but <laughs> it's fine but i liked it yeah i, I kind of did too it was halfway there i think yeah so. <laughs> close enough <laughs> I thought this was a party from the beginning, just with the kind of the the marimba sound or whatever it's I think in the kalimba it's talked about it in the in the credits. But just that that kind of it's it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, get this going. And it's a party. It says fast driving. And I like this song. This is something that, again, was a real positive song and a real get yourself standing up and enjoying this if you're in concert or you know mm-hmm. you're listening at home it's like this is not something to just sit there and be like i'm listening to this track like you have to at least mm-hmm. move your head or get in the groove of it to my to my end of things yeah there's just so much energy here i mean you could punch dance this song <laughs> it's like <laughs> out, it is out of control energy uh, and talking about like live simon and i are like on a regular basis we will watch the it's not, I don't think it's available on DVD or any streaming, but the, the Phil Collins live from Dallas oh, yeah, show sure, sure. and who said I would is the best part of that entire show. Love it. And because of that energy and the whole band, you know, is into it, get, you know, the crowds into it. I just love the chorus. Like it just elevates the whole song. But again, Daryl on this is just, <laughs> Like at this point, he's just sawing two by fours, like <laughs> on the track, which uh, you know again takes takes me out of it a bit. But it's still it's still wonderful. Like, yeah, it's I you know of of the kind of high energy songs on here on this album, this is my favorite. And this was done on his recent tours too, and and it was a highlight oh. of the set. So it was really well done. Woke everybody up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so. I mean, there's, there is a lot going on. Yeah. It's, it's it's very it's very busy. There's vocal effects. Yeah, Who's vocoder. Yeah, vocoder. vocoder. Mm. The electronic drums. There's saxophone. 
I do feel like I have to catch my breath when the song's over because <laughs> there is no there's no rest. It, you know, like you said, it's a party from the start to the finish. I, and it's funny, I did watch that Dallas show recently. And yeah, this was a highlight. I mean, they really get into it with the horns and everyone's like Phil's jumping up and down. The light show. This did feature one of the Genesis references. I don't know if, Mike, you had that as well for this song. No, not for this song. No. Uh-oh. A Heart of Stone. Mm. Uh, is that a heart from, made of stone? Is from Dodo. Tri- oh, yeah. Okay. Ah. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's, again, subtle. But I, I, like subtle. The, I like the cut of your jib with this, Tom. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I find this to be a more legit reference than your One More Night reference. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I actually agree also because yeah. follow follow you or follow me are just regular <laughs> words. This Heart of Stone's a little bit little bit more unique, I think. I mean, not to be the one, not to be the detractor, but at times this it's a little too busy for me. I don't know. It's just just there's a lot, and yeah. I feel like it's an assault on my ears sometimes. <laughs> sure. But I can in concert, it's fun. I, yeah. You know, it does get the crowd going, and and I saw them in it must have been October of 2019, and and I think they did the song, and it was a crowd pleaser. Well, I it is a kitchen it, sink I, song. <laughs> yeah, I do. I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, for your old man ears, you can't handle it. <laughs> no, they can't. <laughs> my my only critique of this is that I thought the ending was a bit abrupt. Like I I would have liked a bigger yeah. conclusion to it. But that was that was very basic. You know, that's a, again, it's more about looking for something to say. Oh, maybe it could have been a little better on this front. It just feels like it kind of ends almost like in a sharp edit versus mm. a real conclusion to it. You know, not a big deal, but just something that I I noticed, at least in my listening of this song. And I actually like the sax in this song, too. Oh, yeah, it works. In oh, my, yeah, it usually sax We're converting in, you. Well, sax in rockier <laughs> songs, I'm, I'm more forgiving of than in ballads. Ballads, okay. it's just it's just such a it's it's such a cliche to yeah. use a sax in there now. So mm-hmm. um, so, you know, that's my thought about this. Well, now we get to, again, one of the more emotional lyrics of the album. Doesn't anybody stay together anymore? So this is the third co-written song with Daryl Sturmer on the album. And I, I think it's the best one of the three that are on there. I mean, I, I love this song a lot. It's 
it's one that I really don't hear that often, but when I do, I'm like, oh, this is a really good song. It's, I think it's, for me, it's the best drum song on the album. The drums from the start to the finish are great. The opening drum fill of this song was also was used almost verbatim on Eric Clapton's song, Hold On, which was produced by Phil Collins and Phil Collins plays on it. And I'd never really heard that song, but I went to YouTube and I you know, typed in Eric Clapton, Hold On, and there it is, the opening drums to the yep. song just almost cut and spliced right onto this. The only other thing about the song, it's really interesting that this and a bunch of other songs, Phil was happily married, I believe, at this point. He was with Jill, at least. But there are a lot of songs about love and love lost and, and unrequited feelings. Doesn't anybody stay together anymore? You know, some of the others that came up early, I don't want to know, One More Night. So it's interesting that he still had that penchant for writing songs about that when he was probably in one of the happiest times of his life. I mean, I just want to interject because, like, I happen to know a couple songwriters. (laughs) I happen to to know one. Um, You know, he could have written that when, you know, like a couple years ago you know, years ago. And we know this about Genesis. I mean, there's songs they wrote, they were noodling in the early seventies and they didn't make it to an album or like, especially some of the stuff on the lamb, you but, know, and he was quoted a couple about, years yeah, and he was quoted yeah. about this one too, that this was more about other people around him than about himself because oh, he right. said that like his manager was getting divorced at the time and somebody else was, and, you know, it was just mm-hmm. more like, you know, and obviously he had been through his own first divorce at that point and was just like, yeah, doesn't anybody stay together anymore? And, you know, mm-hmm. and that I could totally see, you know, him having that thought and then being like, where's my notebook? You know, that's a nice little line that's so <laughs> concise and, and is straightforward mm-hmm. that you can hang lyrics on and that you can build on. Uh, with Daryl being a co-writer on this, I also know from an interview that he said that Daryl wrote the middle eight in this, the little bridge part. And mm. so that's his contribution to the song, because I think Phil was saying that, like, he can play this on the piano, except the middle bit, because he didn't write that bit. And that's kind of for him, you know, he can play things on the piano that he wrote, but it takes a little bit more learning to mm-hmm. do something that somebody else did or kind of adjust it so that he can play it. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a good song. And it does. It's nice to at least on the credits, there's no drum machine or anything on this track at all. So it's kind of nice knowing that this is all Phil playing live in real time, you know, maybe overdubbing yeah. drums because there are a lot of drums on this, but it's all Phil all playing and doing his Phil thing. So, mm-hmm. so musically, although he said they liked the later versions that were a bit more stripped down that kind of revealed more of the, the lyrical aspect of the song, I think, whereas the, this version is busy, but it's a good busy. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you guys have been saying, particularly about the drums. And we haven't really brought we haven't brought up the gated drum, <laughs> uh, you know, gated drums yet, which is huge part of this album and defines the sound of mm-hmm. this album and actually defined the sound of the 80s. Like I, I consider this album and Prince's uh, Purple Rain, which I think was released in 84. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, Sounds right. They, these two albums just influenced music for the rest of the decade. Everybody was sounding like this or trying things out that they maybe heard on those two albums, like hands down. And the drum sound is definitely one. I mean, Phil and 
was a Hugh Padgham, the, the producer on this, like pretty much invented this technique. I cannot articulate what that technique is. <laughs> Just Google it. Google yeah. gated drums. Um, and but it I love that sound. And I think that's the probably the thing that really attracted me to this album, even as a seven year old. I love this sound so much. And when I hear artists are kind of bringing it back now, like this kind of retro electro pop kind of you know, new wave of artists are, are bringing that back into the, into the studio. I absolutely, I'm like, yep, I don't care who you are or what you're singing about is you, you have this sound. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Um, are, are they bringing it back into the stew stew studio? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Mike. Um, I, yes. <laughs> no, but this is my favorite track ever. Oh, like, wow. I, I can't really talk about this song objectively. Like I, I just love it. It, 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 it is the drums. Like that's what it all comes down to the lyrics. I could take or leave. I mean, I'm not, yeah, you're a music I, person I, more than a I, lyric yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You know, I can, I can relate to the lyrics, yeah, um, personally, sure. but, uh, let me raise my hand also. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, but to me, it's, it's just this sound. Um, and this was, yeah. So like I said, I, I can't really comment any more than that because when, you know, at the beginning, when I said this album's part of my DNA, you know, th- a huge part of that is this song. Yeah. That's so, fantastic. That, that yeah. I, I like to hear that because it's, it's so interesting to hear about how other people react to this music and kind of what is it that carries you forward with the sounds of this and what's kind of, you know, been there, you know, the whole gated drums thing. Mm-hmm. I remember there was an interview where they said, why well, drums are loud when you're next to them. And why are all these drums so tiny and, and kind of compressed on albums where if you kind of make it sound big, then everything else can be bigger too. And, and that was the eighties. Everything got very big. Mm-hmm. With that. So, and again, then there's a reaction to that where it kind of, you know, gets constricted a little bit or the production styles change. And then people go, Oh, remember that stuff from the past? That's kind of interesting because that's not what people are doing now. And we'll start bringing that back. So, yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, if artists are revisiting this style, more power to them. Oh, by, I actually have something else for this one. You know, oh. I actually really liked the lyric in this track. Your heart's on your sleeve, but your sleeves are rolled up. That is a great line. It is a great line. And it's also very 80s with rolling yes. up your sleeves. And and I've thought about True. it because to this day, I kind of, when I wear lawn sleeve button down shirts, I roll up sleeves. I hate lawn sleeves. Yeah. And the, yet Tom uh. is showing off, you know, our internal cam here, his rolled up sleeves. And maybe that marks me as a child of the 80s or teenager but in the, of the 80s, 80s you you push up your blazer sleeve your sky yeah, blue bla- right. blazer sleeve yeah. that was i was a little Miami young Vice. for that aspect of it but it was definitely yeah. of that era where that wasn't conceived of as being strange mm-hmm. um that was what people did to show they were hip and cool you know and and that's something that even nowadays i'm like i don't like the feeling of lawn sleeves and you know it's just something that 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 little observation and that way of saying that there's a problem, your heart's on your sleeves, but your sleeves are rolled up. I was like, yeah, that's, that's both a little bit funny, a little bit clever. And it's, it's an interesting way of, of saying what he's trying to say there. And it's just almost a line just in a verse that goes by as quickly as you hear it. 
And I was like, oh, that's that's a good line right there. I actually had yeah. to check the lyrics to make sure I was hearing it correctly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to hear a song has influenced your fashion <laughs> choices. <laughs> I think being a teenager in the 80s influenced the fashion choices yeah. more than that. But the song gave me a validation of my fashion choices that I could say, oh, it's tied into Phil Collins. I'm OK there with that. So, cool. I'm the coolest nerd. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> and so with that we're going to go from talking about clothes uh mm-hmm. when i did my laundry I had, to, I had to turn some of my clothes inside out <laughs> <laughs> oh i've missed doing one. this uh, oh, yes. the, God. Uh, cool mike's the mike's the man with the corn he just... <laughs> <laughs> This song gets a lot of love, I think, from fans. I, I know it's a, a big concert staple. I, when it, well, not all tours, but I know when he plays it, he really gets a good reaction. I really like the swing of the verses. I think they got like a good, like kind of almost like a jazzy kind of feel to them. And I actually do like the outro guitar solo. Don't tell Stacy. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds like that's about it, Tom, right? It's interesting. This song gets a lot of love, and I'm like, I I know I used to love it a lot when I was younger, but I think it followed the same path that "Don't Lose My Number" did, where I find myself gravitating towards a lot of the other songs than than this song. I I do enjoy it. I I, I like it, but maybe it goes on and repeats some of the choruses a little bit too much. So it's it's fine. I, I don't think I'm a huge Inside Out fan like a lot of other. No jacket required listeners are, but it, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go ahead, Stacy. No, I was just saying, like, I'm kind of with you, Tom. Like, I know that kind of the the hardcore fans who are in Phil's corner, we'll say, uh, of Genesis and, and his solo career, they love this track. And, with, you know, it makes total sense. It is amazing track. And in fact, I feel like this is the one, this is the track on the album that like other musicians really like. It's one of these like deceptively simple songs. This is Simon's favorite. And when I ask him why he goes into this like 15 minute monologue (laughs) that I don't understand a word of, 
Mm. Like he's pointing out all of these, like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. And that's why he loves it because he's a musician and it's, it's all this kind of technique and, and style um, and approach that, that Collins took into this track that makes him love it. For me, I, I enjoy listening to it. Maybe I'm just feeling like maybe I'm coming down from, you know, why doesn't anybody stay together anymore? And so nothing can compete with that song. But yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it definitely holds up. Like I said, this whole album holds up with me, the exception of Don't Lose My Number. But this one in particular, uh, I think if you release this track today, it would it would fit. It would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked this song, but I think I, I'm I'm going to echo you two where I'm just like, mm-hmm. it was fine. Like, I enjoyed it. It's it is a middle of the second side of an album track. You know, it's it fits in right where it fits. And maybe because I didn't see it live, I don't have this emotional connection to the song. And it seems a little slight to me. Like there's I like it turns me inside out. OK, well great that you said that a number of times in the chorus but what's making you feel that way yeah he does say the inside out a lot in this song and and it's there's an rem track called turn me inside out that i i like the use of the lyric better in in that track but this is this is fine but it's also the track of going through taking notes for the podcast i have the least amount of notes for this track it's like zero yeah exactly i said my main thing was i like the middle break and I said, big song, big drums. That's pretty much it. That was the impression that, that it left me mm-hmm. with. Yeah, it just kind of passed me by. And I was like, yeah, it's a good end. Of, it's not a bad song. It's just kind of there for me. And it was fine. Yeah, it doesn't have that big hook that I think a lot of the songs on this track, uh, on this album have, where you can kind of instantly recognize it from a couple bars. Um, this it It's consistent throughout, but it doesn't, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It just, just there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of, for me, it's one of those songs that like I would, when I went to play the album, I was like, Oh yeah. Inside out is on this album. It's like, it's not a song that, that I emotionally connect to. So it's not like, Oh, I get to hear this now. It's more just like, Oh yeah, it's there. Sorry for all you inside out lovers. We know that it's again, probably the number one voted song. <laughs> exactly. it's everybody's I, favorite, I, so. I think the we three just of- lost so many listeners the three of us are in the are in the minority i believe wow. yeah totally so, yeah well you know we can't if we can't all agree with other people and they can't you know they can't all be right the way we are so <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll now get on to the the real last track of the album which um is take me home i have no funny intro for this one okay which makes it the funniest intro <laughs> <laughs> i 
Bonus CD track aside, this is the perfect album closer. Just you've gone through this whole journey of dance and have fun and, and you've gone out in different styles and you've come back home now. Like this is the way to end an album. It was a great way to end the concerts. Uh, I think this was an album, a concert closer on several of the tours. And it's just it has one of the keys of music that I really love. The, one thing is that songs do is when they build up and as the song goes on, it keeps building and building and building. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple, instantly recognizable drum machine at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps on sustaining constant, but everything kind of builds up with each verse and with each chorus and we, with each layer until the end is just like this great musical moment in your head that it's, you can't end an album better than this. It's Phil relentless. It's Phil just moving things forward. And, you know, just that drum pattern that's going throughout it and, and the layering of instruments as it moves forward. Yeah, this is, this works for me in so many ways. And it's, I think the reason why, even though we say hello, goodbye is a good song. I'm like, oh, I wish they had put it somewhere else in the album as a bonus track versus at the end, because I think I'd like that yeah. song better oh, if yeah. it wasn't usurping the last track on the album spot type of thing. I mean, and I think I'm with you on that, Mike, hundred percent. And I, I, you know, I think it's colored by the fact that I had the cassette first, so I didn't hear, you know, we said hello, goodbye as an album ender and until, you know, years later, but like you said, Tom, I just love the way the song builds to, you know, up to that last chorus at the end. I think even though this is not my favorite track on the album, it's his, it's the best song on the album. Mm -hmm. Right. In my opinion, you know, and I, I very much liken it to Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. And I know when we talked about uh, So, we were all talking about how, like, that's the perfect pop song. Like, it's the perfect song. And so I feel like Take Me Home is in that in that echelon, if you will. It's in that in that place where it just does not to me. It, it hasn't aged. It still like has that emotional gut punch to it. 
And I think I think he has closed every live show since, it, you know, No Jacket Required was that tour with this song. I'm pretty sure. I believe sure, it's yeah. been every tour. I think so. It's such the and it's perfect. Yeah, it's the yeah. obvious closer because yeah. it's the obvious closer. Closer. You know? it's <laughs> yeah. like, unless, unless you were to play it first, you know, which is the only other place it could even remotely work in a set, and even then, it wouldn't really work great and, there. And, and you know, Gabriel would close with In Your Eyes, too, yeah. as the, you know, so another reason, I, I don't know, maybe that's why I'm making that connection between the two, but. But this is, yeah. I think this is, for me, the most emotional track on the album. Absolutely. Um, which, again, as, as the capper of the album, just works in so many ways for me and everything. I think uh, my my favorite verse of the song is the second verse. You know, it's yeah. it's just the there's so much connection to it. And I know that he said that this is about a prisoner. It's not mm-hmm. kind of a happy kind of like, oh, I get to go home now type of thing. It is yeah. more a yearning, mournful type of thing, which you, you get hints of that in the lyrics. But again, I, what I like about Phil's lyrics and Genesis lyrics in general is that they're not spelling out for you what they're about. They are a lot more about mood than specificity. Mm-hmm. And so you can really put your own feel onto it. But even with the video, it's so hard not to make this about homecoming because yeah. it is about homecoming. It's, you know, taped around the world and all these different places. Probably the music video that took the longest to shoot, I would bet. Yeah, yeah, was this before green screen yeah, exactly. for all our younger <laughs> listeners? Um, <laughs> so you had to actually go to all those places. Yeah. So, but it was but it was great watching trying to figure out where each of the places were. My favorite was the hot tub in the back of the limo. Yes. <laughs> That's so quintessential eighties. So eighties. But I like the Radio City Music Hall. I like that because I was like, yeah. oh, I know where that is. So. <laughs> And he's he was on the marquee on that one too, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, the hot tub. Uh, it's I think we mentioned Peter Gabriel. I think it's everybody knows that him and Sting and Helen Terry do the backing vocals on this, mm-hmm. which is nice to have a little Peter Gabriel tie-in. Mm-hmm. Can you Phil hear again. him? No. <laughs> no. I think it's just the way that they're all mixed yeah. together. It's hard to pick out. I can barely yeah. pick out Sting. Like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's his tone of things. But Phil and Peter's vocals are so close anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, I think I can kind of hear him there. But it is more just about that depth of their voices altogether. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite Phil moments, I think, ever on any of his songs are the verses right after the first chorus. Right after he finishes the first round of Take Me Home. When he has the oh in the background, throughout he has the those, entire verse, yeah. yeah. Throughout those, that is just uh, I could just live in those verses <laughs> and be happy. <laughs> that that's my warm blanket verse right there. Invite me over, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, a, a friend of mine gave me permission to tell this story. It's not a huge story, but back in the mid '80s when this album was big, he made again back in the day people would tape songs off the radio or do different things and have their own little mix tapes. He actually made a mixtape that was not a mixtape. It was just a 90-minute tape of this song over and over again. <laughs> and and he strangely does not have a podcast about Genesis. <laughs> so, but but it was just, uh, it, I actually texted him earlier today. I said, was it you or your sister who had the tape of Take Me Home over and over again? And he wrote back right away. He's like, nope, that was me. 
And oh, I I had the tape of Invisible Touch over and over again. I would okay, and I think I I might have mentioned that on that episode <laughs> yeah. of Invisible Touch because it was before the album came out. Okay, or maybe it just you know I just hadn't acquired it yet, so I would just sit. I remember sitting in the driveway, sitting outside with my little radio, <laughs> and um, yeah, every time it came on the radio, which was like every ten minutes. Yes, um, back in back in the eighties, that's how it was. There was only four songs released at one time. It feels like, and you you know, I would just wait for it to come on, and I would just record it over and over. And then you had so your final want... tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it, so. Tell your it was... friend. He's not alone. <laughs> it was so hard to hit rewind back in those days. <laughs> You'd have to wait yeah. a minute for it to rewind and then play again. <laughs> but that's, I think, I think I might've, yeah. I vaguely remember the conversation back then being like, why don't you just re- rewind whatever? And he's like, you just got to go into it one after another. And I'm like, exactly. Okay. But that's, I kind of respect that in a lot of ways. You know, it's, it is kind of, you're saying I want to be in this mood for 90 minutes and I don't want to have to think about, you know, <laughs> rewinding or I'll just flip it over when I have to flip it over. So, you know, I don't know if I filled up a tape though. I just remember like, I, you know, it was, it was a hundred years ago. Yeah. So I have, I don't know, but I remember doing that. Next time you're at home, you have to see if, um, if your mom has that tape somewhere. So probably the, not the <laughs> got thrown out somewhere. So this is the end of the album, right? We don't have to talk about any other songs, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. No, we're done. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, last track on the album, on the CD version for those people, is We Said Hello Goodbye. Tracks. 
I remember um, when I got the first CD copy of this album, I was so excited. It's like oh, a song I hadn't heard before. Mm. <laughs> um, and I was I was so excited to uh, to hear that I liked it. Um, this is this is a great track. As we just, I think, went over about, you know, Take Me Home, I think, is the perfect album ending. But as a bonus, you know, if you're going to end it one more time, have a second <laughs> ending. Um, the encore this is, of the album. Yeah, the encore. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Um, this is absolutely a great one. Uh, considering the other maybe extra tracks, which I don't know if we're going to talk about, this is the, by far the best of those. And I just love, like... This track is very acoustic. It's I just hearing all these acoustic instruments. If it, it was very refreshing, and yeah, it's a it doesn't really stand out to me. I love the feel of it, and again, I I love the the acousticness of it. Probably the two things that I, yeah. It felt very me and Virgilish to me, kind of in that in a story way, not necessarily in the sound of the music in that kind of like, you know, ma and pa type of thing, but Mike, why do you invite me back on the show and then trigger me like this? And it also made me think of who done it, you know, <laughs> I was bringing up all the oh. old hits. The, um, no, it, it, it just, that was one of my notes about this, just about but I can me see and that. Virgil in the story way of it mm -hmm. telling a narrative, kind of just a brief kind of thing about leaving home, starting in a new place and everything. I also like, I had mentioned on the on our recent uh, first Mike and the Mechanics album podcast that I like songs where the lyrics don't start until about a minute or so into it. And this is the same thing. It has this mm -hmm. kind of, you know, mournful piano intro and then the strings come in and then the song proper starts. And it's it's a nice song. I was but I was surprised. And when Tom read out some of the comments and some that that we got but didn't read out that talked about this song as some people's favorite or close to favorite on the album. And I was like, really? I was like, maybe, maybe I am just colored too much that it's kind of taking the place of the last track of the album that I don't give it a fair shot. I'm like, it's, it's totally fine, but I, I'm just surprised when it's, it's somebody's favorite. I'm not surprised because it doesn't have that eighties electronic sound or pastiche <laughs> to it and i think that's what i would say maybe some of the the fans that are more into the 70s and early 80s material are a bit more adverse to like i can't imagine being like a 70s genesis fan and then hearing this album it must have been <laughs> like a, a knife through your heart like because it's so far removed from that but i feel like we said hello goodbye is a is a bridge Right. So if you're going to have to pick one song, this would be it. So I, I, th I thought this would have been perfect on Hello, I Must Be Going also. Like yeah. It has much more of that feel to it. And, and mm -hmm. when you were talking about when things were written and, and th that type of question before, I wonder if this was more of that era of writing mm -hmm. that kind of came up and said, oh, you know, let's get this one down and let's do a version of this now, because it felt it felt closer to that album than mm. this one or the next album so, right so yeah so again i know that i'm biased against this song because of where it is on the album now but i should give it more of a fair shake i enjoy it when i hear it probably enjoy mm -hmm. it more than certain other tracks on the album it's probably middle of the pack for me if i'm thinking about okay. kind of the overall where it stands on the album i thought i think it's a great 
kind of hidden gem. I remember hearing it, I think, a few times on the radio. I don't. It wasn't released as a single, but somebody must have played it. It was a B-side to one of the singles. And it was I tied into one. a movie. There, there was a version of it, I think really? you had mentioned from Wikipedia in some film. Maybe not in a huge way, but maybe that No, was there was, it was a song, there was a movie called Playing for Keeps. I'm not familiar with it. But if you do look up on YouTube, you can hear the version that was in that movie. And it doesn't have the intro strings. It cut, goes right into the song. And the guitars are a little bit heavier. So it's interesting to check out. But the, the album version is the one that really makes it I had the cassette. I didn't hear this until I caught it somewhere on the radio. Someone played it. I was like, wow, a hidden Phil Collins song. This is great. I can't wait to hear it. And then when the CD came out, it was a bonus track and I really loved hearing it. But yeah, maybe I'll, I'll I sometimes will listen to it before Take Me Home if I want a really good album closer. It's it's very, I like the echoey feel to it. It reminds me a little, very Beatles-esque a little bit. But I think it's a really good track. But yeah, I, I kind of, put an asterisk next to it when it comes to this album. <laughs> yes, very much so. Along with this, there are, there are two other B-sides, The Man with the Horn and I Liked the Way. Did we listen to these tracks? I did. When you told I me did. we were covering <laughs> because I had like no memory of these tracks. Although when I went to, when I went and listened to The Man with the Horn, I instantly recognized it because I think you mentioned it, Tom, when you're reading the Wikipedia, it was the uh, Phil repurpose it for the Miami Vice episode. And it was um, the theme song to that game show he was hosting. The Rat Race, yeah. Life is a Rat Race or Life in a Rat Race, yeah. Yeah, regardless of the version, it's not that great a song. (laughs) Um, In my opinion, you know, he was right to, to, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, to, you know, make this a a B-side. But yeah, it's... It's a B-side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all Bo- I have both to say these, about yeah, it. <laughs> this and I like the way. Very true. This and this and I like the way were both, as soon as I heard them, I was like, oh yeah, B-sides. I mean, yeah. I like the way is totally like Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam, Denise Williams, <laughs> 80s, like, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to like perm my hair and grab a scrunchie and <laughs> I grew shoulder pads listening to it. Like it's I, super I put this, 80s. I like the way would have been great Miami sound machine. I also yeah. had Denise, Denise Williams Denise and it would fit perfectly on the Beverly Hills cop soundtrack. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> from, from the title, I thought that it was going to be a ballad. I thought it was going to be some laid back song. So when it started mm-hmm. with this very upbeat thing, I was like, Oh, this is not what I thought. And then when I listened to it more, I was like, yeah, B side, this is, it sounded more like a high class demo than really a completed track yeah. to me. And... It's a B-side in an 80s movies montage. Yes. Like that's the, that's the only two places this this works. Yeah. So Phil, you made good choices with what actually yes. went on the album for this, well done. this uh, track. Well, and the, the, the funny thing I liked reading about The Man with the Horn is that it was recorded during the Hello, I Must Be Going sessions. Oh. So it was, it was an older track. And the other funny comment I read about it is that Phil has said he has zero emotional attachment to it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's probably one of those tracks that he can listen back to and be like, well, I wrote that, you know, it's it's just there. It's it's not it's it's very upbeat. It's not bad, but I'm just did like, he, yeah, it's not. Did he include this one on that B-Sides release? I have to look back and I actually never downloaded that. The, the online thing. I need to go back and, and do that because I think I saw. Because I think I like the ways on it. Yeah. But I but if, if this isn't on it, well, then, yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you're just collecting all those odds and sods to throw them out there it's um yeah. it is what it is so well didn't he have like a i don't think i ever bought it the 12 inches the remix yes, thing i have is that, that on no it's not that, because that, that was, was only bonus. remixes that was only it wasn't like bonus tracks there was like six or seven tracks on it but yeah that we'll do that on a separate podcast we'll talk about <laughs> the, the 12 inches uh, the man with the 12 inch horn <laughs> <laughs> that is the porn version of the album that comes out so <laughs> speaking of my poll uh, <laughs> yes. I, that, I was setting you <laughs> that up that was an excellent segue see it, it, you can take the girl out of the podcast but you can't take the podcast out of the girl so that's right <laughs> so actually let's segue into tom's poll tom shows you his poll tom told you his poll this was really interesting. Uh, there were kind of four that were at the bottom, four that were in the middle, and then three that were on the top. I'll start with the bo- I'll start with the bottom four because they were pretty close together. Number eleven. Oh, and there were no ties. Nice. Everyone was in its own certain place. Cool. At, coming in last place, number eleven with one point two percent of the vote was who said I would. Interesting. I can see it not being somebody's favorite. I can see that. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I will. I will bite my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in tenth place with five votes and two percent of the vote was "I don't want to know." Okay, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, coming in ninth place with only eight votes, Susudio. Susudio. Yeah. Really? Correct. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I wow. mean, yeah, that's been played a lot. Of, I, and if people are listening to a Genesis podcast, there may not be a lot of 80s pop fans listening to this podcast. That's what I was about. So. That's what I was going to say with who said I would. Yeah. I feel like, you know, yeah, this is a Genesis podcast. Ugh, you know. Yeah. Surprising I that it's so. that low, though, still. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, along those lines, just one one vote more. At number eight place, eighth place was one more night. Sure, it got it got one more vote. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't lose number seventh place. Is don't lose my number. I'm I'm liking tw- your process with this. Time. <laughs> yes. I like how you're working this in. So, how many? And what was the percentage for that again? That was almost five percent. Only twelve Still votes for don't low. lose my yeah, number. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's really low. Now we're getting into the teens with number of votes number six the sixth place was doesn't anybody stay together anymore that was 14 votes or 5.7 percent now we have the top five okay number five only you know and i know with 6.1 percent of the vote number four was long long way to go with 18 i actually thought that would be a little bit higher but that's the Uh, first one to break into double digits percentage wise right well, that's that's still only seven point three eight. Oh, you said. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said. I thought you said eighteen percent. I'm sorry. So. Oh, 18 votes. Eighteen votes. Eighteen votes. All right. All right. Now we have the top three, and here's where I think where we flip the coin about whether or not to include this song in the poll or not. Yeah. Perhaps we shouldn't have because it hit the third place. We said hello goodbye was number three with twenty nine votes and. 12% of the vote. See, that actually makes me think that it's that it went so high that that it should be in the poll because yeah. there's a there's a good amount of people out there who 
thought it was their favorite track. So, yeah. And, you know, maybe a lot of people like younger than us or just, in, you know, they got the CD first. Yeah. And this right. was a part of the album yeah. for them, you know, depending on how you came into this. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting that it got third place over almost every other song on the album. Yeah. Like I said, this is this is the bridge song between, <laughs> yeah. you know, the 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 earlier catalog and the this at the time current yeah. catalog. The number two song jumps ahead in these in the numbers inside out with 43 votes and 17% of the vote. Which I I, I as I said it's very very popular not yeah. maybe among mm-hmm. this trio but <laughs> <laughs> but i was very happy that the jump the votes for number one jumped considerably more than double the second place vote take me home yeah. top song 36 percent of the vote it it was a runaway not even close yeah yeah, yeah. which Good. which is not surprising to me at all that that's the, yeah. the number one track on this album so well now that gets into our own favorite choices uh stacy as the the guest here would you like to go first <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's pretty clear um why doesn't anybody stay together anymore uh is my favorite so and i wasn't surprised to hear where it landed in the poll considering everything else that's on this fantastic album and i didn't vote 14 times I, only <laughs> <voted once. laughs> I think that's that's fair i think that that i can totally yeah. see this being yours and a number of people's favorite mm-hmm. track on the album. If you're theme. if you're a drum like you're all about the drums, yeah. I, I would assume you this would be in maybe your top three on the album. Yeah, Thomas, you want to go? Sure, I'll, I'll go with "Take Me Home." I think I might have stated all my reasons when we talked about yeah. the song, it, but it just it has staying power and that emotional connection that I had when I first heard it. I still hear it after countless listens. It just Mm-hmm. it's a it's a fantastic song excellent i i can i can admit that this is the first of these polls that i actually forgot to vote in the poll <gasps> I, I know it's oh. shocking so it was just and actually i went to vote this morning and was closed out already and i was like god <laughs> damn it um i heard you i heard you banging on the door and i, I was know, like nope, me, he's not exactly. getting in he's not getting in but i was online i was online to vote <laughs> and so had I voted, there would have been a tie. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Not me oh, having a tie, oh. but I was going to vote for Susudio. And, so, yes, you, it and, would have tied with one more night. Yes, it would have tied with one more night at that point. I was debating between one between not one more night, between Susudio and Take Me Home. And... I found that over the course of this week, when I was listening to this album, Susudio was stuck in my head more. If I was going out walking, you know, during lunch breaks or after work type of things like that, that was what was going through my head more than Take Me Home or more than other tracks on the album. And I was like, well, there's got to be something to it if that's what's going through my head. And so for this moment in time, I'm going (laughs) to vote for Susudio. Susudio. For this moment in time, I'm going to vote for Susudio, for this, uh, for my favorite track on this album. Although I think that emotionally, I'm going to split the hair here because, and I know that mm-hmm. Stacy doesn't like this because there are no ties in this world. No. I would emotionally connect more with with Take Me Home. Uh, than I'll Susudio. allow, I'll I'll allow this split because I'm kind of in the same spot. 
like I said, I think Take Me Home is the best track on the album. Yeah. And I did and like you said, Tom, it still hits you emotionally. It's it's still such a strong piece of music. And so I think we're with all the others who voted, you know, significantly, all the significant votes for this. Uh this is this is just a phenomenal track. And yeah, it is yeah, I could I could go between why doesn't anybody and 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 take me home they could be top spot at any moment well we forgot to mention to stacy mike that ever since she left the podcast we allow people to vote for multiple songs so (laughs) this this show's going downhill podcast is over (laughs) throw the microphone away so no it's you'll be happy to know it's it's still one vote one person that's it yes Although, you know, again, there's all this new ideas about ranked choice voting and stuff like that. You know, maybe we can start, you know, not having ties, but having, you know, put your first, your second, your oh, third. Oh, yeah, you But could. that would probably be way too complex for the web form and everything. So. so final thoughts on this album to me, again, because I didn't own this back in the day, I can actually feel fairly good about saying that this col- this album besides Invisible Touch, maybe the best album of the 80s for me. Mm-hmm. Just because it is so 80s, it is so both of its time and timeless that listening to it fresh during this time, and again, because it wasn't, because I didn't play the full album back in the day 80 billion times, I was like, this is an album where there's not a bad, even, you know, whether it's only, you know, and I know, or one more night, there's still not bad songs. There's not a bad track on the album for, for me, for this, um, for this album. So I love it. I thought it was, even though it wasn't part of my DNA, I was like, this is something I can really get behind and be like, no, this is get away from all the Phil Collins bashing. And it's a really solid album. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd agree that this, it is a fantastic album. It, I don't put it on as much as other Phil Collins albums. I think because it takes me back to 1985. It takes me back to a time more than other Phil Collins albums. Like I don't remember listening to Face Value when it came out or Hello, I Must Be Going. So I can put those on and it's just like I'm listening to great music. I put this on and it is great music, but I'm back in 1985. Yeah. Yeah. So it's if, if I want to take that trip, and have a good time and and bring back memories from 14 year old taping songs off the radio i'll put this on and really enjoy it it's it's not one that i would reach for first among his others and i think he also probably wouldn't put it up there with his favorite but i like what he did i he also mentioned that he purposely would program the drum machines to play faster up-tempo songs so he wasn't writing the same stuff he was writing on his first two albums I think that really showed and it's a, it's a happy, fun album that, yeah, it, it is probably one of the best albums of the eighties. Well, that's what, like, I would say this is like an almost perfect eighties album, but to me, the perfect Phil Collins album is hello. I must be going, mm-hmm. you know, that for me is if I'm looking to digest what Phil is all about as a solo artist, that's what I would kind of give to mm-hmm. a prospective listener. This is, but if somebody said, you know, if somebody had missed out on the 80s entirely and said, what were the 80s like? I'd be like, here's your <laughs> copy of No Jacket Required. Listen yeah, to this, go. you know, and you'll 80s be there. 101. And if you listen to it in the summertime, even better. So, yeah. you know, that's what it's about. Go ride your bike and have this on your headphones. This is what the 80s feel like on a great summer day. Or sit in your mom's car, whatever you want to <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Stacy, any final wrap up from you on this? 
Yeah, I have uh, two things I haven't been able to, I haven't mentioned yet. One is, and this kind of like adds on to what you were saying, Mike, about, you know, albums in the 80s. This album, I think Invisible Touch, and I'm, I would say Yes is 90210, are like the best 80s albums (laughs) from bands that didn't start. Did I say 90210? You did, yes. Damn it. I was hoping you guys didn't catch that. <laughs> we all know what you're talking about, and we, we all, know we've too all made those that mistake many times. So, what is it again? Nine zero one two five. Nine zero one two five. Yeah. Can I start over? Nah, just keep going. We know, but this is all staying in. So, so invisible touch, no jack required, and that yes album, <laughs> like those to me are such solid strong albums that still hold up the 80s by bands that you know started their or musicians that started their kind of commercial career in the 70s because i i feel like a lot of artists that you know got their start in the 70s and then kept going right into the you know into the 80s and 90s and so on they just i guess you know they just couldn't fit into that music landscape that was happening in this decade but for some reason, those three albums are just, they just nailed it. Yeah. So well done, Phil Collins, for, for being part of two of those three albums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other, the other thing I just wanted to, to give a shout out to Hugh Padgham. I think to me, yes. he is the star of this album. Like between, I mean, despite like Daryl's guitar aside, we all know how I feel about that. Um, <laughs> but the arrangements... The way this sounds, you know, from the drums to the horns, everything um, is phenomenal. And, you know, if you do give this album a forensic listen, like I said, I did, you know, a week ago, it just, yeah, it, it, it just amazing how well put together and how amazing, like awesome this still sounds. 100% so, agreed. Yes. Well done, Hugh. <laughs> Bravo. Well, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, again, Stacy, thank you for coming back to the tabletop for this uh, for this mini reunion of a yeah, partial thanks. partial reunion here. This was awesome, Stacy. What what have you been doing with all your free time now that you're <laughs> not around the tabletop? <laughs> Just waiting for you guys to call me. <laughs> um, that's primarily what I'm doing. Well, I've also uh, I've continued to annoy people with my voice. Um, <laughs> By hosting my own show on progrock.com called No Words Music. Uh, it's on every first and third Thursday of the month, 5.30 Central Time, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. And it's just me playing about 60 to 90 minutes of instrumental tracks, hence the name No Words Music across genres whether there's a lot of prog in there i've played uh so phil collins and genesis and peter gabriel and steve hackett already um, more of that to come of course and usually uh, what i've been doing so far I, I started this back in march i pick a theme i think the last last show i did was all about horns so i featured every track had horns in it a horn section i did one on the 70s i did one on synths so I love that approach because it for it, it does make it easier to do the cross genre playlist, um, but it also forces me to explore new music, so I'm not treading familiar ground. 
And yeah, so if you want to check it out, just go to progrock.com and you can find No Words Music, past shows there. It's on iTunes. But I love when people can tune in live and there's a chat that goes on. So it's very interactive. Yeah. So that's been one of the things I've been up to. And you have a Twitter account for that also, I think. Or, I do. Yeah. So yes, I'm on I'm all on all the socials. There's a Twitter, so you can just search No Words Music. Um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's all I can handle right now. Yeah, we don't <laughs> nobody, That's all I know how to use. Nobody needs to see me on TikTok. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So yeah, I would love for everyone to check check it out. Let me know what you think. And thank you guys for uh, letting me crash the podcast again great oh, this was awesome yeah yeah this is great we'll have to do this in person again too at some point yes please so, you know we'll we'll come on down to philadelphia or you could come up we'll all meet at tom's place in the middle of things and we'll paint the town red again oh yeah so, cool excellent well again thank you all very much um i'm mike i'm tom and i'm stacy and we are wrapping up this episode and we'll see you next time Yay. Yay. All right, let me just hit stop here and...
listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast, or send us questions we can address on future episodes. Well, Stacy, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast before. <laughs> it sounds familiar. I know. Tabletopgenesis.com. Yes. It, it's so it's so nice to not have to explain to you how the behind the scenes part of this works. So she knows um, how the sausage uh, fest is made. Yeah. Exactly. So besides the actual just doing this over Zoom now.